podcast on this Monday evening. Uh, with me, I have my co-host, Peter Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our special guest tonight, Mike Hollick. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you very much for coming. So, Mike, who are you? What do you do? What's your thing? Uh, I'm Mike. Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, Mage Hand Press, which is a fancy word meaning I kind of do everything over there. I do a ton of the design and editing. Uh, we make D&D stuff uh, broadly. Uh, we just released our first uh, ever card game uh, on Kickstarter. It's called Witchy Cakes. That's live right now. I'm, I'll talk about it at some point. I, I dare them to try to stop me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, recently, I created the um, open letter to Wizards of the Coast uh, at opendnd.games. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot to unpack there. I mean, the Open D&D website has got a lot of traction. I've seen the number of people signing up to it has been amazing. I mean, what... I, I believe it's at 77,000, but uh, the dirty secret is that we're manually updating and skimming through those signatures. So, you know, uh, thankfully now that the, the signups are less than 10, 15,000 a day, I can I can, you know, take my time and batch a few days together so I'm not spending every day day in and day out going through the spreadsheet and making sure that like you know people are broadly who they say they are and there's yeah. no, there's no foul language or anything in the, in the signups okay so i'm trying to think how we're going to how we're going to do this because there's a lot there which i want to talk yes. about but i feel like we need to know a bit about more about you as a person and what you do and obviously mage hand games and things so we'll sure. start off with the slightly more mundane uh, or exciting, depending where you're coming from. So obviously, so Mage Hand Games, uh, what is it if people don't know? Uh, yeah. What is it you so, do? So, um, and this this is a good way to bridge into the open gaming license stuff. So um, I've been working, uh, making stuff for Dungeons & Dragons for, I think, seven years now. I've run uh, uh, three successful Kickstarters, and like I said, I'm on my fourth. Um, so broadly, what we do is we make supplements for Dungeons & Dragons. Um, Wizards of the Coast, uh, the company that owns uh, Magic the Gathering and, um, you know, uh, uh, their, their subsidiary of Hasbro uh, makes Dungeons & Dragons, but they, for the last 20 years or so, have had this really kind of lenient license that allows folks like me to go, you know what, I'm going to make an entire book that works with these core rules and makes them bigger and better and cooler. So my first book uh, was called Dark Matter, um, and it sat on top of the core D&D rules and made the whole thing science fiction. So it wasn't a new system. You could just play D&D, and now it's sci-fi. So the advantage of that is a ton of people play D&D, and there's other great science fiction role-playing games out there. And D&D is, of course, like heroic fantasy. It's Lord of the Rings, right? But um, people don't, once they learn a system, they learn how to play a game. They don't necessarily want to learn a whole new thing. So so uh, using D&D 5th Edition as a, as a launching point, we've created all these cool expansions to the game that allow people to play D&D in new and innovative ways to keep their keep their game from becoming stale and to give them, you know, extremely cool new ways to tell stories and, and invent characters. Um, so uh, that's all been, you know, allowed. And, you know, uh, it's been it's been literally my lifeblood. It's it's, you know, my job day in and day out. I write stuff for D&D. Yeah, I mean, I, re I, mean, I will be. I'm going to get some um, hate mail for this, but I did not like the D&D rules until 5e. Oh, I, I agree with that. I think yeah. it was, um, I think if D&D has one big problem, and it's still a problem, but it's less, is that it's it's very hard to get into. It's very crunchy, and yeah. not in a way that facilitates 
better narrative storytelling. And to some extent, I think the audience brought, you know, the designers created a simpler rule system, but the audience has brought this narrative focus to it with shows like Critical Role and uh, The Adventure Zone propping up yeah. this kind of narrative side. It, it's changed the way that people tell stories because it used to be more like a board game. Roll a lot of dice, complicated stats, beat up some monsters. And now I think it has evolved into something that is that is kind of true to the original intent that was, okay, but we're here to tell stories about these individual characters and their adventures. Yeah, it felt more like a combat system with a few skills tacked on rather than a an homogenous role-playing game in it in itself I, and i believe it still has room to to expand and yeah. evolve um as as you know new new rules and things are created um but it is it is at least nice that there is a singular point in which a lot of people can get on board so that we can have that critical mass of people who recognize role-playing games as a thing you can do instead of a thing that those weirdos over there do once a week yeah. right that it's that it's more acceptable in that way yeah i mean dnd has become and also role-playing games in general have become much more prominent especially in the past few years i mean during march april 2020 the height of the uh covid pandemic it was it uh, dnd was um trending on google for the first time which is which is wild when you think about it because dnd is traditionally a game you play in a room in someone's yeah. basement for you know <laughs> hours at a time and you order pizza and you make it an event and and to people like me and to a lot of people it is a social event it is it is how you see your friends on a regular basis and then at a time in which nobody could be in the same room as each other the game took off uh, largely due to uh, virtual tabletops this idea that there are applications on your phone and on your computer that allow you to play D&D and it like facilitate this gaming environment without having to be in the same room as one another uh, those have, the most prominent of those is called Roll20, and there's there's several of them. The second biggest is Foundry, and they have, there's just tons and tons and tons of applications that allow you to play D&D remotely. And they are critical to the... We'll talk about this as we get into yeah. the sorts of changes Wizards of the Coast tried and is trying to, to implement on the ecosystem as a whole. And, and it is important to think about it as an ecosystem, right? There's lots of people who are swimming in this pool. Um, so uh, virtual tabletops are really core. Like half of the people playing D&D right now only play on VTTs. They only play online with their friends. Uh, and there's a lot of advantages to that. Uh, and, you know, uh, people who roll a lot of dice in person will kind of scoff at that. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I think, I think both are extremely valid and we have to make sure that we create an environment that's cool with both. Yeah, like we we play D and D well most Thursday nights for our campaign for the website and stuff, and we've been going like two years, and it's all over uh, table, uh, not table simulator, over roll twenty, and it was mm -hmm. great. It was it started obviously because of uh, lockdown, which was amazing, and you know I I prefer it now. Like I don't get me wrong, I like I've done in person paper and pen uh, RPGs and stuff, but. It's just having something. It's just so convenient. Just having everything there in one place. I don't have to flick through loads of books and stuff like that. I I personally prefer it. To yeah, uh, you, you don't have to worry about traffic. Nobody has to live close to each other. Yeah. I mean, one of the things about D and D is that it's usually taken up by people in high school, college, and then a couple of years after that, if you think about it, those people have gotten jobs and moved away or having kids. It's like there's that meme. complications. It's like that meme. It's like I, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. But it's basically uh, who wants to play an RPG? We do. And it's like uh, when can we play? And it's like uh, what's this? Who, who, where can we play? When do you want to play? Whenever you want. Bar Tuesdays. 
on Thursdays. And <laughs> I can't do Thursday. I can't do six o'clock at this time. And there's all these yeah. different ones. Everybody shouts a different thing. Different the the thing, real yeah. challenge of yeah. D&D is the scheduling. Yeah. yeah. Scheduling. But obviously, it's a lot easier um, when you sort of can play it online. Like, it's, it's, it, we, we now can do it on Thursdays pretty regularly because everybody knows there's no traveling. Everybody can, can be there on a Thursday night, even if they're a bit yeah. sort of, they turn up slightly late, they can sort of get onto the computer and do it. Right. Obviously, doing it in person takes a lot more cat rustling or cat herding, as it were. Um, yeah. And yeah, that I can, I can see that being a bit more of a problem. Um, so, I'm just trying to think how we start this then. So, do we should we start the OGL as it was from 1.1? The uh, what they were sort of kind of pushing, then what they said after the backlash, then what they have done now, and then sort of kind of. Sure. Let me. Let me. I'll try to. I can summarize that in a in a pretty brisk pace. I think. Yeah. Um. So there was. The, the um, open gaming license was technically the open gaming license 1.0A. Uh, and it was, uh, it's almost, I think it was launched in 2003. So it's almost yeah. uh, exactly 20 years old now. Um, that thing has lived through generations of Dungeons and Dragons. And actually, well, I say that, but they abandoned it for a little while in fourth edition and fourth edition broadly bombed and they brought it back for fifth edition. And then voila, the whole ecosystem thrives again. It's almost like an open license is really good for having a huge ecosystem of creators. Um, this is going to be a theme that keeps coming up. Um, it it gave you really wide latitudes for what you were allowed to make with the license, including software and uh, you know uh, websites, uh, applications, video games, like novels. You put the license in it; it's under that license, and uh, it 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 didn't just apply to the rules, but it applied to the ideas of role playing games. So there was a lot of ways you could utilize that license. Um, rumors had been kind of circulating around for the last. Uh, at this point, about six months. Um, and uh, I think they they came to a pitch in and around December and uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, brought uh, some creators on uh, into these like little private meetings. Um, uh, reportedly, they had about 20 creators in, in different meetings in which they, it, right at the end of December or a little bit before, you know, they met with a whole bunch of people who were prominent in the space and uh, told them, hey, uh, we're going to kill this uh, OGL. Uh, we're going to kill it dead, which uh, struck a lot of people uh, by surprise because, well, uh, the old OGL says it can't. You can't get rid of it. Even if you make a new version of the OGL, it, the, OGL the OGL says you can use whichever version you want. It's you. It's utopian in that way, right? It's like this is forever. Even if someone tries to take it off the track, we have the wording in there saying you can still use this perfect version. And and that that's a really interesting idea, right? It's a really interesting utopian idea almost. Um, and uh, uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast brought a bunch of people aside and said, well, okay, uh, we've got, um, you know, this new license. And if you sign it, the terms are not going to be as bad for you. Here's a special terms sheet, right? That is going to make it easier for you to continue doing business. But for everybody else, it looks like this. Uh, and we can talk one-on-one -on -one to figure out the best terms for you as long as you sign this. Um, oh, and they, you, so they, who's the you, by the way? Who are you referring as the you? Uh, people are... Uh, the individuals that were, like I said, there's about 20 businesses um, that were reached out, the biggest people in the space. Um, nobody, nobody will, very few people will confirm or deny if they were in one of these right. meetings because there were yeah, non-disclosure yeah. agreements and uh, stuff like that. So, right, okay. Okay. You know, yeah. if hypothetically I were in the room, I wouldn't be able to say if I were. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so, so they, they single out a whole bunch of people 
and uh, um, try to get them to sign. And they give out the license and the license is real bad. Um, it takes out this huge, broad freedom of expression in the old open gaming license and says, no, 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 you can only make print products and uh, PDFs, nothing else. Uh, you can, uh, uh, if you make a pretty good amount of revenue, not like profit, but like if you sell a lot of products, no matter what your overhead is, if you make more than 750,000 in revenue, you're going to owe us a quarter on every dollar past that. So large Kickstarter campaigns are immediately infeasible. Big Kickstarters can make upwards of a million very easily. The sheer amount of money Wizards of the Coast takes out of the pocket makes that impossible. If you put books into store shelves, um, like uh, our friends over at Cobalt Press does in small game stores around the country, that's not possible anymore. Their, their overhead, like their, the percentage they make on every book sale is less than 25. It's honestly probably less than 15. I'm sure it depends on their, their actual print runs and, and you know, the climate, but uh, you know, that makes those sorts of things completely impossible. So, um, so this $750,000 is profit or is it gross? Revenue. Revenue, oh, actually, gross. So actual, ah, right. So it wasn't just. I see. I was under the impression no, it was revenue. No, if it were, if it's profit, that's a much more complicated question. They yeah, can't yeah, track yeah. that as easily. I can say, well, look, we had all these other expenses. You know, um, um, right. You know, technically, I needed to buy that Lamborghini for my game. Oh, see um, that? You know, like you can, you could. There's it, uh, profits are hard, and they would have to audit everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, by the way, let's let's lean back here for a little bit. This is a crazy thing to ask for anything. Yeah. No, th no company has ever made a license that says you can use our game, but you must report your profits year in and year out, and you must tell us every single game, every single product that you make that uses it, and uh, you have to sign up on our website and have an account with us. Like this is this is very different from everything else the industry has tried to do. And furthermore, it's it had some really nefarious clauses in there. Like, look, listen, we can steal your work and sell it without telling you or uh, reimbursing you. We're allowed to do that. That's in the contract. Um, and like, that was just there. And um, I think a lot of creators uh, uh, were rightfully skeptical about this before long, you know, uh, uh, alarms were being sounded in the behind the scenes. Quotes from the the license were circulating around without the whole license, and eventually the whole license was leaked. Um, a lot of people were talking to the press behind closed doors, um, and it started to become a three alarm fire or a five alarm fire for the entire industry because um, getting rid of the old OGL is actually a much more complicated thing. Tons and tons and tons of extremely good role playing game systems that have nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons use that exact license because it was designed to be used with any game. And by saying this license is dead, Wizards of the Coast is really just setting a, a light to the whole forest of third-party creators. I mean, that was how you made games so people could play, like build on them if they wanted to. And with that gone, it, things became very, very scary for a lot of people very fast. Right. So there's a couple of things actually we we'll talk about. So, uh, well, firstly, because we were talking about the money, that's that seven or if I when I first read that. I had it in my head, it was profit. So I was like, okay, fine. So it's going to be big companies are going to be affected. But now you've said it's it was just revenue. That, that's yeah, sale, even, actual sales. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of the people who we've had on the podcast who do Kickstarters and stuff, who might get, you know, 
that in revenue for their books and things well, like that. Can I, can I, can I talk about Kickstarters? They had a whole section about Kickstarters and that license. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and they got very specific about how you calculate whether or not something is part. So hypothetically, if I run a Kickstarter, I actually want to give you a whole bunch of stuff in addition to the book, because I know you're excited about it and you want to get in on this whole thing. So I might give you dice and a side adventure, or maybe some just like, you know, sheets about NPCs that have nothing yeah, yeah. to do with the actual rules. Like I can create all this additional stuff around it that isn't, using that license dice dice boxes you know uh fancy boxes you know for your for your books that you know slip cases and that sort of stuff right um i can i can create a lot of products around this and and they were like no 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 if if the main thing you're selling is a role-playing game book all of this counts unless you have it specifically on add-ons that are hosted on another service like backer kit right so they, they specifically carved it up to take as and i mean by the way that would include 25 percent of shipping 25% in, on top of the amount uh, 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 Kickstarter was already going to take. And, oh, they made a special deal with Kickstarter. So Kickstarter, it, Wizards of the Coast only takes 20% on Kickstarter. It's not 25. You're going to be fine. But it's, yeah, it's oh, oh, off the top. I mean, that includes the money you're getting from shipping. That includes the money you're getting for packaging and for That's printing boss. the books themselves. That's boss. It, it was It was impossible. Yeah, it was I, an impossible ask designed. And, I mean, you have to ask what they did this for. Um, and... So I wish lead, I had good answers. So that leads me to the next session. Like we were talking to Anthony Pryor last week, and um, I heard, uh, and I'm not sure if it was from, it was. I think I'd been watching a YouTube video. It might have been Legal Eagles, or it might have been something yeah. uh, along mm -hmm. those lines. Uh, and they basically said that uh, Wizards of the Coast, um, that part of Hasbro, Nobody really questioned in the shareholders meeting. They like nobody really. When it came to those things, they kind of just let them do their thing, and they focused on everything else. And then one day, somebody turns around and says, "So, um, what about Dungeons and Dragons? What about Magic: The Gathering?" Uh, and then they realize that a massive swathe of the profits that Hasbro get come from 70 percent. Yeah, seventy percent of Hasbro is just Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, come from those IPs, and then they yeah. suddenly realize it's like, why aren't we asking questions about these two cash cows? And then suddenly the new OGL comes out because they realize that they're already making a fair chunk of change from this part of the company, and they could be milking it for a lot it's, more. It's it's more insidious than that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so it's not just, Hey, we need to milk this more, um, word around the campfire. Okay. We have to talk a little bit about industry gossip. Um, not, <laughs> yes! uh, so, so there is a website called D and D beyond, yep. Yep. which is the only way that wizards of the coast, uh, distributes their products digitally. So when I create a book, uh, I give you, um, you know, uh, um, PDFs of the book, uh, like an actual one-to-one -one thing that's like hyperlinked and you can get around it pretty easily. I give you a PDF wizards of the coast for the main dungeons and dragons books does not offer PDFs. Yeah. Um, so if you get a PDF of one of those books, it's because somebody has scanned in every page laboriously and it looks like crap, whatever. Um, and they could sell those, but they choose not to. Instead, they they used a company called D&D Beyond, which actually was not owned by them. They licensed fandom to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, who owns like a ton of wiki sites and stuff. They're actually really big. Um, they uh, they licensed fandom to create a website called D&D Beyond. Um, and uh, uh, that's how they distributed all their products. And they're, of course, losing a chunk to fandom, but they didn't need to. They, Wizards of the Coast doesn't publish video games. They're not a software house. They make 
uh, books. They're publishers. So they don't know the first thing about making a digital distribution system to sell their products. So they were happy to make this sort of deal at the beginning. And now that they're making a lot of money, well, reportedly, this is where we get into rumor territory, uh, Wizards of the Coast went up to fandom and said, we would like to buy D&D Beyond from you. And fandom said, we're, it's printing money. Why would we ever do that? We have a license for the entirety of fifth edition. Why would we ever give it to you? And Wizards of the Coast said, oh, that's neat. We'll just make a new edition. So they announced sixth edition D&D and they realized that they're trying to monetize fifth. They really want to create the, the bedrock to really bleed people dry with the next edition of Dungeons and Dragons. They want to have a monopoly over VTTs. They want to make sure that the only place you can get products online is through D&D Beyond and all just because they, they needed this like framework in order to purchase the software house and start vertically integrating everything under it. Um, so that's reportedly why all of this is happening because last year they purchased D&D Beyond for an ungodly sum of money. And you must imagine that the people wielding those checkbooks would like a return on that investment. So it sounds like rather than relying on third party developers and creators to for, for their various platforms, Wizards of the Coast has would just want to bring everything in-house. Would that be a that would seem, Well, I, it seems like they want there to be a place for third-party creators, but as, yeah. on like a part-time basis where Wizards of the Coast makes 50% of anything they make and, you know, or more, and, you know, you can't really print this anywhere else. You're never going to put your books on store shelves. That's just for us. And instead of playing fair, they're, they're you know, instead of looking to say, what can we make that people will pay money for? They're saying, how can we get more money out of people? Well, we can make sure that we're the only VTT in town. They don't even have a VTT yet, but they're making sure that they're the only one in town. Um, how, you know, nobody else can run big Kickstarters and put their books into stores. Like they're, they're trying to eliminate all of these really, uh, um, all of the ways that a company could look official, right? The way that a company can look like they could be an alternative or a competitor or something like that. Um, which is completely against, and they still had the gall to put open on the front of the new license. <laughs> they still had the gall. And it's the it's so insulting. The, the the entirety of it just has a really insulting character to it, in my opinion. Um, do you do you I feel could, that yeah. any of it was done for the right reasons? Or do you think it was literally just done to sort of uh, to justify their cash grab? I think I'd have to read mine's. Um, but I, what I will say is that there are good arguments to be made that the the open gaming license did need some small adjustments. Um, it needs it needs a clause saying that if somebody uses the license for discriminatory or um, hateful reasons, right? Um, you know, you should be able to get rid of that um, because you don't want it in any way associated with the you know this utopianism idea of an open license really should have some limitations to keep really hateful speech you know in check. Um, it should probably um, do a better job at um, identifying which content falls under the license as like, this is from Wizards or this is from, you know, another publisher as opposed to this is yours. It does a very poor job of segregating out that content. Um, if you were a, if you're like an IP lawyer, that would bug you for everybody else. It's a massive amount of convenience that allows the books to be readable. Um, so this, this really depends what side of the fence you're on, but a, a big company would be concerned with that. There are improvements they could make. Um, Getting rid of all software is uh, extreme. Um, that's that's yeah. going to destroy Dungeons and Dragons in the entire TTRPG space. Um, because if you Google a rule, it's nice when there's places that host those rules that you can find. You know, like a wiki, yeah, or a or just a site that has the rules on them. Those are all going to go away 
with uh, even with their proposed updates, those are all still going to go the way to the dinosaurs. So this this way to access Dungeons and Dragons and learn it on your own, all of that gets to go away unless you're going through D and D Beyond. Which I don't know. I just don't like trusting the entire onboarding process for the whole industry. And I mean, we should talk about it as the whole industry, right? Like everyone plays D and D. Very few people play Call of Cthulhu, Numenera, um, you know, Stars Without Number. These are these are great systems, but people go to them after D and D. They play D&D yeah. first. Yeah, I mean, so. D&D is very much kind of the gateway drug to the wider role-playing yeah. games. So so mistakes on Wizards of the Coast part don't just hurt Wizards of the Coast. And they don't just hurt me. They hurt everybody in a, in a real way. Because suddenly, where are the new players coming from? Well, they can't understand how to navigate this one website. The whole industry dries up in a matter of maybe five years. Right? Yeah. It'll be slow at first, and then it'll be precipitous. Um, so I think that's why, that's why it, it's worth talking I mean, about this and being loud about it how does the open gaming license compare to other third party agreements i'm thinking about like paradox interactive have um a third party agreements in place for the, the world of darkness developer third party developers on the drive-through rpg vault how does that compare Roughly. I I don't know all of the third party agreements out there. Yeah. Um. In in the 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 open gaming licenses. I mean, you know, you mentioned a legal eagle video. He he broke it down as like, well, this is actually a bad license, and he's not wrong. Um. It doesn't give you access to the entire game. It has weird protections for things that like mind flayers and beholders, which are in the game, but you're not allowed to even mention as being in the game, which is extremely strange. Um, and you know, it, you give up a lot of freedoms and protections that you would otherwise have using, like even within the bounds of, you know, co- like without violating copyright, there's, there's a lot of nuance here with technically companies can't copyright game systems. You can't copyright processes. Okay. Um, so technically wizards of the coast is claiming way more protection than anything should be able to offer them. This is, this is just really complicated, uh, complex stuff. Um, so technically it's a bad contract, but it's been okay. Like it doesn't need to be made worse. If anything, it needs to be made more generous, right? It's not a great contract to begin with. And honestly, if it ever went to court, that whole contract would probably be on the rocks. It just wouldn't like it would, it would wash up. It would not do well because it, it doesn't really fit what most people understand as like traditional copyright law. It's very jank. Um, so yeah, updating it, updating it is, is, going to be very dangerous if it puts them into a court of law because they might lose the whole license yeah because i mean also i suppose in many ways they're forced i mean given the rate of development in terms of technology and video games you do need to update it because 20 years ago we didn't have blockchain nfts you know and all that and virtual tabletops all these different multitude of platforms so it wasn't there so we didn't have to consider it but i think you could also argue they do need to consider, but they've just gone too far, and they've, they've just greedy. They've just exactly gone, instead of yeah. instead of firming up the holes and patching up, you know, the uh, the legal loop, um, issues with it, they've they've gone right. We'll we'll add some of that in, but then we'll go for the we'll go we'll try and knock this out of the park and get ourselves some more green, and that's where everybody just gone. Whoa, what mm. the fuck? And I've I, I'm so impressed by this. Even even now, even though sort of a week later, um, and they've climbed down a fair bit 
compared to basically the last time when we talked to Anthony last week, I think the last statement they had made, they went, okay, you guys may have won, but we won too. So, you know, uh, it was, it was nice it. That it, for them acknowledging that, that we beat them. Yeah. Um, which, uh, when, okay. So, so I should, I should pivot a little bit and talk about our responses to this. Yeah. Um, I created an open letter, which detailed exactly what happened and what they were attempting to do and all of the negative How consequences. How many people did you cite? I said, it's on this, we've got 60,000. 77,000 wow. people. So it had, okay. a, it had a form on there. Um, I was using type form and I maxed out the number of people you're allowed to sign up <laughs> per month. And I had to make a second one and hot swap it. It was a whole mess. So 77,000 people. It's probably well over 80 at this point. Like I said, I update them manually. Um, um, other people made their own kind of statements. Um, um, I believe there was a, um, there was a, there was a, uh, a petition on change.org, but this ours got way more traction because I think it was a little bit more communicative about what this means, uh, and, and what the consequences are. Um, uh, my legal representation, Noah Downs created a, um, you know, a, a legal breakdown from a lawyer's perspective. Uh, you know, which I think has a lot of validity, <laughs> you know, it, there's a lot of people who want to become armchair lawyers when things like this pop off, but having somebody with, you know, uh, a specialization in, in copyright law weighing in is uh, right up, right from the on, on, uh, outset basically is, is very useful. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think the, the, the backlash was bigger and more widespread than they could have ever imagined. Um, and that, the whole thing makes you question whether or not they really understand their audience. Was this, was this malicious and they didn't care or are they just that ignorant of how many people play their game and how many people love their game? Well, we said this again, we said this when we were talking about it last week, I thought it was a case of they, they knew it was going to cause problems, but they were banking on the fact that people are inherently lazy and going, Oh, I don't know if I want to change a new gaming system or, or do that, that and the other. We'll just, we'll just put, we'll, we'll moan about it. We'll, we'll put up with it. Terrible thing to bank on. Like D and D as a hobby asks a lot from its players. It asks that you are sitting down doing this organization that you're, you're um, writing entire campaign worlds for your like table of four people, right? Like it's, it's, asking a ton and then like people like me are like entrepreneurs we're building businesses around this we you know there was always going to be this grassroots like DD is something that has a lot of grassroots elements built in mm. so seeing it kind of, like it was obviously going to pop off and, it, and i think that betrays that they didn't really know uh, uh what was going on so um they did soften their approach after a very like i mean was that like two weeks of silence yeah since yeah. the leak started it was a long time where they didn't communicate with anybody and it got you know, more and more furious as it passed around the internet. Um, they they have softened their their approach and they're they're proposing some softer versions of the license. They still want to get rid of the OGL 1.0. Mm-hmm. Um, they still want to massively limit the types of expressions that can be used with the license, and they still want to get rid of basically all types of software. They've made an exception for virtual tabletops, but again, their their basic their basic license says if you have a website that has the rules on it, take it down. Uh, even the rules that we think are free and should, everyone should be able to check, take it down. If you have an app that lets people create, you know, characters, if it's not a virtual tabletop, like, you know, if it has fancy animations or something, um, they would say, well, that's a video game, take it down. They, they've given themselves, even, even with the most softened version of it, it's still extremely intrusive. And the, the, the consequences of this aren't something you're going to see right away. Right. So anything I say about the damage it's going to make are going to look like, uh, you know, uh, uh, crying wolf. 
because it will be years before we see the full damage this thing does. Um, but I think by creating something so massively incompetent and then softening it down, you know, they're, they've, you know, given themselves kind of a good guy impression. Yeah. Not well, that that was intentional from what yeah. I've heard. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah. I, they've done it, but it just, they, they've made themselves the BBEG of their own sort of, their own sort of D&D campaign, effectively. And, you know, <laughs> he's that sort of guy with a twirly mustache at the end to sort of kind of go on oh, that's, that's okay. And he's trying to turn the party against, you know, other members by sort of kind of throwing in a pot of gold. Um, I, it still leaves a bad taste. Like, I, I love d d it, it turns out, it turns out almost every d d fan is really, really into the idea of hunting down and slaying dragons. <laughs> like, we were all going to be in on this. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, and it's just, like, it's one of those things. It's like, it's gotten to the point where people are threatening to boycott the film when it comes out um and obviously that's going to cause some serious oh, we, should, we should talk about the D be gone thing yeah so um okay up until the very 11th hour um we i mean there was there were wizards of the coast is leakier than a sinking ship we got a lot of information from the inside during all of this because only a few people were steering this decision the writers the creative staff the people who are managing the front desk were on our side um, because it was very clear that what they were doing was wrong and would be harmful in the long run. Um, we got a leak, you know, at the 11th hour saying like, well, here's the next update, you know, and it was bad. Like they were doubling down. Um, they were, they, oh, they softened it from 25% to 20. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, it was, it was rough. It was super rough. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, they were like, it's going to come out like today. Um, here's the deal. This is what they're looking at. They're looking at D&D Beyond subscriptions. They're looking, because they don't have any more up-to-date information right if we see this number going up they're going to keep doing it if they see that number going down they're going to stop um so uh we pulled the trigger we got a lot of people to start taking down their D beyond subscriptions. And lots of people did uh that. reportedly yeah. reportedly forty thousand people dropped yeah, yeah, off in yeah, about yeah, two yeah. days that's that's, and, um, yeah, to the that's point, a lot of money to the point where they actually disabled it or at least redirected it because it we just couldn't handle Yes. Amount yes. They were they amount. were maybe doing some shady stuff in the background to keep people subscribed, um, which is uh, more problems for this this company. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, in the long term. Um, but yeah, I mean, it that was what turned it around. Like they didn't release it that day when the D and D Be Gone kind of slogan went out to folks, and the call went out. This is what we're doing. We're doing it right now. And um, uh, you know, a couple of days passed, and then they released the the first kind of communication, the first actual post where they started softening their approach. Um, and they even included some of the paragraphs from that earlier draft that we saw leaked. So like the bit, the, the most, the most like asinine, like mean bits, like we both won, like that was in the original one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, um, <laughs> that stuff, that stuff made it through, but um, you know, they had to like rewrite. I mean, they changed like on a dime, like it was it was so much closer to the wire than almost anyone could realize. They were going to double down and they were going to really destroy us. And if it wasn't for that deep, like single person within Wizards saying this is what they're looking at, this is what you have to do, um, we we wouldn't we wouldn't have won. Uh, we would have we would have put on all this effort and they still would have destroyed us. Like they would have it would have been a bad time right now. Like I would you know yeah. I would have been canceling Kickstarters left and right. People would be. Like Patreons would be taken down. Things were things were going to be very very rough right away, um, and there, this was all happening in a very tight timeline. I mean, what I found interesting, like um, with the course response during this entire incident, was that 
they didn't communicate at all. They're just kind of putting out these new, all these different promo comments like the D&D Lego, the D&D film. And it just felt a bit too diversionary of, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. Try to distract from the main it was, concern. It didn't, it didn't work. It no. was, it was, I think it was that the stuff originating inside Wizards of the Coast, like that company stopped, right? And all the other marketing partners that they had kept moving along. Yeah, yeah. The packages that were already in the mail, like late Christmas gifts and stuff got sent. And uh, everything else was like, that train stopped. And I must, rumor has it, people, plural, were fired over this. And they wow. had to figure out what they're doing now. Like the license that they just put out is like they, they put out a, a revised 1.2. So uh, for the folks following along at home, the original was 1.0. The one that leaked that they met with a few people behind the scenes about was 1.1, the really disastrous one. And now they're putting out a 1.2, which looks better. It's also much shorter, right? Like they brought in their legal team to like, you know, shorten this thing down. The 1.1 was 20 pages. It was long. So the current... You're exp- sorry, yeah. car- sorry, carry on. Uh, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so the new one, new GL... Uh, so the base points are will not contain any royalty structures or royalty fees. Doesn't include financial reporting or registration requirements. Clarifies that creators own their content. States that anything already released under the original OGL is unaffected. So it's not backdating. Says that live streams, virtual tabletops, and actual plays aren't affected. Well, virtual tabletops aren't affected, except for now they have to abide by this weird, extremely restrictive virtual tabletop policy that's about a page long and tries very loosely to define what counts as a video game and what counts as a virtual tabletop, Uh, which is rich from a company that doesn't have a virtual tabletop and has never made a video game trying to define the difference. Uh, Their (laughs) example was, um, if there's a fancy animation when you click the magic missile button, it's a video game and will take you down. So, wait a minute. So, when people play on Roll20, we have effects that happen when you do... Like, we've... Like, I bought sort of, like, you know, mm-hmm. little effects for, like, you know, Fireball and, uh, yes. and sort of things like that. So, technically, they could argue that's computer game, and therefore... According to this policy, that's illegal, yeah. <laughs> so, so, all of this softening, still very, very scary. Like... They can take down um, if they want. I mean, they're not going to take Roll Twenty down. Uh, they have a they have a one on one license with Roll Twenty, yeah. um, but they'll take Foundry down overnight. Uh, Foundry is the second biggest. Um, I believe uh, Atropus from Foundry just released a, a statement today about this. Um, he and I have been in communication with this um, since yeah. I heard about it. Given the amount of response you had for the Open D and D website. Have Woods of the Coast said anything to you, or have you kind of direct, you know, shared that that number of people with Woods of the Coast? Has there been any interaction and communication between you and Woods of the Coast? Uh, they, I have to be very careful how I put this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have heard nothing from anyone at Wizards of the Coast since the Open D and D letter has gone live. Okay. Uh, and I. People have reached out to me via that form. I've spoken with a lot of folks, so uh, it seems that they're not interested in speaking with me specifically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, one thing I found, I I've, I've, I saw this one um, post going around on uh, Twitter. So, yeah, I don't know how valid it is, but 
with the 1.0 1.0a agreement and bringing it into 1.1 now there's a there was the national republic game back in the early 2000s which was created using the ogl it was a star wars game and that basically the 1.1 meant technically as i understand it wizard of course could have claimed star wars well, they could they could try to stop. Try. Um, they could try to stop additional. Sa- well, that's the trick. Um, they would not be able to create another. It it doesn't. The the one point one yeah. wasn't clear about it. That's the scary thing that it was yeah. not clear if they could retroactively apply it. Um. Uh. Uh. A few copyright attorneys weighed in and said it doesn't look like it would if it's already out under that license. But it would mean yeah. that um um uh Disney wouldn't be able to make a new version of that game right and uh they i mean they can't right like if with this new license they cannot make a new version of that game um because the rules that it uses under the hood are dungeons and dragons it uses the the d20 system which uh i mean yeah there's this idea that like D D can be abstracted so that there's the fantasy side and then there's just the dice rolling rules so uh, you know it the Knights of the Old Republic video game uh, one and two, I believe, used that D20 system as its backbone. So people who yeah. know D&D can really get into the mechanics and that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it, it, it has definitely put all video games that, that use any sort of D&D rules in a very complex spot. It's not super clear how much leeway Wizards of the Coast has to issue cease and desist over things that look like they're infringing. Um, like, for example, the new... Um, OGL 1.2 actually very generously offered components of the game um, as uh, um, Creative Commons 4.0. Very, very generously. However, that doesn't include any of the spells, any of the monsters, any of the classes, any of the feats. Uh, so, it, you know, it's Creative you- Commons, except unless you want to talk about a wizard, and then it's very unclear how much danger you're in. Yeah, how can you... Can you copyright like Wizard and Thief and Paladin? Well, Games Workshop did try to copyright Space Marine, yeah, but and got used... slammed back and said, "No, we oh, well, can't." I guess because it it was being used by other people, and obviously yeah. the reason they changed all the names was in their in their uh, so they changed um, Space Marines into Adeptus Astartes, and they changed yeah. Guardian. Uh, uh, you know, they, they they changed all the names because they could copyright those. Because all the other ones, like elves and orcs and stuff, you know, they, they couldn't copyright that. So I don't understand how Wizards of the Coast can copyright it's not, Wizards. It's not about copywriting and making it, you know, a fit. Okay, here's the secret behind the OGL. Uh, it was not a good license, and yet we used it anyway. Because essentially, the community understood that it was a gentleman's agreement. Wizards of the Coast didn't have to hunt down tons of people with a with a you know, uh, uh, an, in, not an entire army of lawyers just around the internet striking people down left and right, and the community <laughs> got to create things. This was the agreement. This was the idea behind it. It's not a great license, but it gives us a feeling of protection so that we can have some assurances that we can create games without being struck down. Uh, and Wizards of the Coast gets to save money and have that flourishing community. Um, it's not about whether or not they can. It's about what they can threaten. They don't have to take everybody down. They just have to take down the people who are making enough money to be potentially cutting into their bottom line. Although I would argue that that is a wildly myopic view of things, right? Like 
when I create books, I'm not taking monies. I'm not create. I'm not taking dollars out of their audience that would otherwise go to them. I'm creating more dollars in this ecosystem, and other VTTs are doing the same thing, right? Like a bigger ecosystem creates more dollars. It doesn't. It doesn't just tap the small number of nerds that are here. Um, we access new nerds. We create people who are <laughs> who are in this ecosystem. Um, this this gets like deep into economics and stuff, which is not worth getting into. But uh, uh, this this sort of idea that they're they're oh we're competing with them or that anybody would be competing with them is is massively uh, uh, off base. I think. So we've got until the seventeenth of February. So you can provide feedback and license via survey until the February third. Wizards will coast will respond on the seventeenth. So we've got the third. We've got what? How many days? A week. Got a week and yeah, just on it's the... cute. It's cute that they're polling the uh, uh, the entire audience instead of the people who make stuff. That's nice. That feels like it's uh, completely well reasoned and it's not at all just kind of to skew the numbers. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. 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 What do you think is going to come of that? I think they're going to push through something extremely similar to the to the draft that they they put together here, which is going to have some positives and a lot of negatives. I think um, you're going to see uh, two or three companies in particular challenge Wizards of the Coast um, uh, effective revocation of the 1.0a in court, and that's going to go down. But everybody who signs this new license is sort of going to get locked into it, um, which is going to be very challenging for third party creators. Uh, I think it's going to make it really hard to you know have effective businesses because you're going to only be able to use some VTTs or, you know, only VTTs that they allow and they allow, you know, keep alive. I, I, I think, I think in general, it's still a very negative thing, but I think we can survive. I think we've, you know, it's gotten a little better. Yeah, I find the industry's reaction to this has been very interesting. Like uh, Paizo, which I think would be fair to say would be one of the main competitors of Wizards of the Coast. They're about create... a hundredth of their size, but yes, they're a competitor. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Pathfinder has just really took off. Yeah. And the Orc Alliance, like this open right um, role-playing game, essentially, open source role-playing game, has got a massive uh, a number, number of people involved. You've got Chaosium, Ian Publishing, um, Gale Force 9, Minotaur Games, Mongoose Publishing, Monticook Games, back in the right. which, which seems to be like there's a community just wants to, okay, if we can't have the open game license, we won't use it. And we're going to create our own license where everyone can use it. Sure. I, I think I think it's been it, it's been very cool seeing the the you know industry rally around that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, companies like me, we go where the audience is. Yeah. And creating a license doesn't create an audience. There have been Dozens of extremely utopian licenses uh, ever since the OGL, better licenses. Um, you know, so creating a license around this is not necessarily solving the problem. The problem is that Wizards of the Coast seems to think that they can hold on to D&D as a concept and then strangle out anybody else who, who kind of intrudes upon stuff that they don't allow. So if you want to make something that is licensed under the orc, but you use, you know, fighter, wizard, rogue, barbarian, like you use the main setup, it's not clear whether or not 
they're going to be able to to try to take you down for violating the OGL 1.2. Um, I think that there's a lot of questions that this license uh, opens, and it's a question. And, and the the answers to those will be determined about uh, on uh, will be determined by who is taken to court and when. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to have some very very extreme lawsuits that come out um, in in the coming days. Things like um, Cobalt Press's Black Flag comes to mind. That'll be published under the Orc. It's going to be ostensibly 5e um, to its bones, but decoupled from Wizards of the Coast. So whether or not they can pull out that decoupling, uh, you know, uh, uh, to continue to use the 1.0a license or, or publish it without a license is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, because there were I know there were quite a few uh, Kickstarters that were announced literally just as the OGL license was updated, and I know a few people went, oh. That's just completely screwed our Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I backed yeah. a I backed a virtual tabletop uh, sort of. Um, oh, I can't even remember. I can't have to find it actually on, on Kickstarter for like uh, for it. Oh, I have to find it, but um, that literally a few months before this all kicked off, and when this happened, I was like, oh, shit! <laughs> Is that another going to be another failure of a Kickstarter? I'm going to lose all my money for. Yeah, and not and and it wouldn't have been their fault either. You know, no. yeah, like. You can't you can't blame them. It's a it's a massive bummer, um, uh, and and it seems like it's still going to be very hard for virtual tabletops to operate. They're going to have there's you know, for for all of the talk about virtual tabletops, Wizards of the Coast has you know just shy of one page for their VTT policy, and it's very thin on the ground. And I know somebody you know creating like a you know uh, uh, requirements sheet for you know a pit of software is going to be looking at this going what is this. What am I allowed to say? What does this mean? Yeah, I mean, it was, it called, feels... it was called Men. Oh, M E N Y R Menier, and it's a player RPG online procedurally generated entire regions, dungeons, and villages in a single click connect generation VTT. Uh, it looked really cool, but I was really panicking that it was going to, you know, go down, you know, just going to sink. And I was like, no, no. It fe- yeah, it feels like almost history repeating itself with like TSR back in the 90s when a series of bad decisions by TSR on the legacy of which has saw busy D&D just almost tanking. And, well, and the same thing happened in 4th edition. There's a cycle here. Exactly. And Whenever like, they well, get big enough, they get greedy and then they, they, they get myopic and they forget how this, this ecosystem works. And then they drive the fans away because the fans are smart and savvy and they forget about that about their audience too. And then we end up back where we started. They get generous again because they have to and we all, you know, fall in love with the game. And that's the upsetting thing because it's like, I, I I think I'm a, I'm a principled person and I, and I like to sort of uh, live by, by, by my, my principles. And when I heard this stuff, I was just like, oh, I'm, you know, I love D and D. We've been playing this campaign for two two years. Do I stop because you know I'm against what they're standing for at this moment in time? But then it's like the nerd part of me is like, but I built so much into this campaign, I don't right. want to lose it. And right. it's just like it, it, I'm completely conflicted about the whole thing. You it, know, it's a really complicated thing about hey, if the company that owns the thing that you love does bad things, like, well, they're not the thing that you love. That's that's a big organization. It's like it's not people. It's just a thing. I mean, and and D and D requires so much of you putting yourself into it. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't feel fair to just say get rid of that. That's no longer yours. Yeah. Um, 
it's been, I think it's been a really tough emotional time for a lot of people. I think we're going to see, I think right now we're at a very, uh, we're kind of past the pivot point and things are just going to fall, right? There's, there's very little chance that Wizards of the Coast changes its direction from this new one. Um, and uh, I think it's, it seems to be very focused on this VTT supremacy, right? They want to be number one VTT around, even though they don't have a VTT yet. Uh, otherwise, why would be they be strangling the life out of VTTs? Because uh, they got front. Oh yeah, uh, rumor has it they've had one. They've had one in the um, the, the the chamber for about three years now. Okay. D and D Beyond wasn't allowed to release it because Wizards of the Coast wouldn't let them when they were owned by fandom apparently they had to go through a lot of hoops at all times to get anything through it was a nightmare for for designers over there because you know they had to they had to get a get a blessing from somebody at wizards for everything um so so reportedly they have they might have something in the uh something in the uh, uh the whole yeah thing. i won't be surprised given that it seems like almost kind of getting everything in-house and just under their purview right and I don't, I don't know. Is, is it a good play? Is it a bad play? It, it seems like from certain perspectives, it's a good business decision, but um, I don't know. After, yeah, it's just such a massive fundamental shift that it's caused a spasm within the entire industry. Well, I think they've, I don't think it's going to, I, I think if they kept on with the first one, it would have done them detrimental damage. Uh, they might have sort of been able to claw back eventually, but it would have really hit their bottom line. This new change and this sort of kind of more conciliatory sort of like, you know, we are actually sorry and we're not saying that you won, you know, uh, you sorry, you lost, you won, we're sorry, here we go, here's what we're going to do. Um, I think that will placate the sort of, a lot of people, sort of mo- moderate people are kind of like, who were sort of in the middle about it and now they'll sort of like they might lose i i think i think none of this matters yeah. uh i think i think the real issue is that wizards of the coast is trying to release a new edition where the current edition has gained people year over year it never mm-hmm. slacked off people aren't going to want to leave 5e yeah. and now they have a contingent of people who want to be mad at wizards of the coast for evil things that they've done recently in the past so when the next edition of DD comes out it's going to be harder to access because it's only going to be on d you know DD beyond um it's it's going to be uh uh you know probably more expensive to access because they're going to try to find ways to monetize that platform and uh people are going to already have a bias toward wanting to to uh, fight the dragon we've they've gotten a taste and they know they can win so i think we're going to see a real schism open much like the fourth edition days where a lot of people stayed behind and migrated to a strong third-party platform other people moved forward with Wizards of the Coast and had to deal with their baffling, uh, you know, business decisions along the way. And then a whole bunch of other people made competitive systems that went nowhere. And you just see this massive fragmentation and it's harder to find a group because some people play this, some people play that. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting time. Yeah, cause I mean, I mean, I do like the 5e system. It's the only system of d and I actually really enjoy playing because it's so... Well, well designed, yeah. very straightforward. I mean, like just the role of advantage mechanic is just yeah, brilliant. And I know it's going to be. I can imagine there's going to be some resistance to going to the next edition, like one D and D, which is why Five E works. Yes, yes, I, and the, I have all these books. What are we talking about? Yeah, they yeah, keep exactly. they keep banging this drum like it's backwards compatible. It's like I'm a designer. 
the, the, the levels of your subclasses have changed. It's no longer backwards compatible. You've thrown out the baby with the bathwater here. It's not hard to look at this and say, this is different. It's massively different in certain places. Yeah, well, that, that's the one thing that makes me feel slightly na nauseated because I have got physical books. Uh, I've shelf full, you know, obviously Beatles as well, but I like D&D &D especially, just D&D &D because of that campaign. I bought nearly every single one that's come out. So I've got all those. And I have the digital versions because I like doing it on the thing. So I spent a, fair, a small fortune on D&D &D books for fifth edition. And <laughs> the idea of them going, well, we're going to sixth now. Um, we're going to change things. Just makes me kind of go like, twitch because i'm like oh my god that's a lot of money and they, and they don't they, i don't think they have a real se selling point here they're yeah. not saying we're making it even more stripped down and even easier to access they're just going it's like 5e but more so everyone who's playing 5e will go but why yeah and i think i think new people are going to get on board and they're going to go straight to 5e but uh or, sorry straight to 6e because they don't know better yeah but people who are already playing, people who are invested, everyone who got on board during the pandemic, they're just going to shift over to Black Flag because it's going to be you know, in stores right alongside other stuff, assuming Wizards of the Coast doesn't try to annihilate Cobalt Press with um, um, you know, lawsuits. And if they do, I'm going to be right there you know, alongside them. Like we're going we're gonna to fight them again if that happens. Mm. Um, but I, people are just going to stick around. And I mean, that's my business strategy. Like, I, am, I am banking on that. I believe that everyone's going to stick around and keep playing 5e. It would be insane yeah. if they if they did anything else. Yeah, because it feels a lot like what Games Workshop do in the UK, where it's basically every few years kind of release a new edition of the rules. Well, see that that's another thing I actually, I actually wanted. I'm not sure what your uh, are you sort of uh, how, what's your knowledge about sort of Games Workshop and their sort of kind of. Uh, I know I know broadly about their business strategies, but yeah. I never I never bought into the ecosystem. Right yeah, now. yeah. So it, there's a lot of because of this that's come out. The Games Workshop uh the warhammer community which like i've been a part of since the 80s like i've been playing since the rogue trader and stuff so so very old school and it's it's perpetually being a lot of people moaning now they haven't had an ogl that's changed they've just been we're a company that makes miniatures and we like making money pretty much either play the game or go away pretty much so they they at least have been honest about it you know as much as like more recently they've kind of gone you know oh we're we're bringing back all these cool things and we're doing all this cool stuff just for you guys and it's just like it's not really just for us it's just because you know how nerds like us work and we've got and the personalities and we like nostalgia works yeah and nostalgia yeah. works and it's like so there's a lot of people here turning around and said can we not just do what the D, D community have done and kind of say that's enough we can't deal with this and like i was i've been ooming and eyeing about writing an article for the website about uh, games workshop because as much as i love them there's a part of me that really resents them for the way they they do their their mechanic. It's like I understand they're a business. I understand they're trying to make money, and they don't hide that. But they're so brazen about how they sort of come about. That you get so many books and so many different rules and so many changes. And armies are always super powerful when they come out straight away to the point where everybody jumps. It's like especially in your competitive scene, which I used to be a part of, where you. You, you, you want to go for the most powerful army, so you change army, so you're always having to spend a lot of money on new stuff just so you could keep the competitive edge. And they kept us going, and then they bring out a new edition, and then it was building up again. And it was like people were just have been moaning about it for so long. And 
nobody's done anything and people turn around and say well why don't we just do what the D community have done and just go we've had enough let's stop and then there's been this massive backlash about well you know what are you talking about why would we do that and it, there's not been as much of a unified cause as sort um, of games workshop involves such an investment it has always been something that they know that they're not going to acquire more customers that quickly. So they have to, if they want to increase profits year over year, they have to increase, you know, uh, uh, actual draw out of customers. Wizard, Wizards of the Coast knows, or at least they should know, that D&D has always been something where it's kind of a cheap thing that everyone does collectively. It's At this point, it's almost a folk tradition, mm, yeah. right? Like mm, if, yeah. if Wizards of the Coast, uh, uh, if Seattle is hit by a huge meteor, and Wizards of the Coast is reduced to ash. D&D continues to exist tomorrow. And not just because the people still have the books, but because like the game exists without them. Miniature games are required to have like this like physical component, but D&D doesn't have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it's it's a very it's it seems very different. So it's weird when Wizards tries to do the same thing as Games Workshop. I get that they're envious. They're making more money than them last time I checked. Yeah. But I get why they'd be envious of that strategy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's I, th- I suppose it was with D and D. It was like the Wizard of Coast of Wizards of the Coast have always had because he said folk, this folk, um, you know, folklore. This sort of this, um, oh, what's the word? Storytelling. Uh, yeah, sort of. They had this sort of thing where it's just like it is for the community, it is for the greater good. We have something which is. Uh, physically you know financially not overly expensive you know whereas game shark it's always been expensive it's always been an expensive thing whereas yeah. and then suddenly they've turned around and went well you know all that cool you know you could do what you wanted and you've got a lot of freedom you don't have that freedom anymore and you, you you're gonna have to spend more money and you're gonna have to be focused in one area and stuff like that and that's why there's been a kickoff whereas games workshop sort of just being it costs a lot of money to buy plastic crack and you can either deal with it or go somewhere else we don't care we're still making money and there's been no, there've been a lot. Of, they they at least have been open about it. Whereas, uh, the, you know, Wizards of the Coast have suddenly just turned around and kind of gone. We are the uh, mustachioed, uh, twirling evil guy. Well, at and, the, and it is funny because you're you're right. Games Workshop could turn around and become like Wizards of the Coast. They could have an open system in which they go, Hey, look, we're going to sell you, um, uh, you know, uh, like printable versions of every one of our units. In fact, we won't even sell you the individual components so you can glue them together like we're gonna like whatever customized com- like dude you make we'll we'll have a model of that com- like customized dude with that particular weapon and they're all separate like they can still extract money out of the community but make it o- more open easier to access uh and like make the rules free and the, you know the codexes could just be lower yeah. you know they they have a route there but it doesn't seem like they're interested in taking it to like expand their community and extract a lower amount of money from each from each user. And it looks like Wizards of the Coast wants to pivot over to that model where they're not really interested in onboarding people. They really just want to like raise up the walls. Now they've got a walled garden. You're here and you're going to pay us money. Yep. Reportedly, they're, they're looking at, you know, massively monetizing D&D Beyond, uh, you know, into a monthly subscription service for every player. So instead of one person buying three books for $150, maybe $180 total, they want everybody to pay 30 bucks a month or maybe 10, like, you know, depending on what number ends up actually rolling out of this. It's yeah, going to well, be a very gross time, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, everything's moving to the subscription model now because companies are realising that they can generate more money by charging small amounts on a monthly basis by the, by charging one one big amount. And, and hey, if it's disgusting and half the people leave, did you monetize the other half more than double? Cool, you're in the you're in the green. You made more yeah. money, which is still catastrophic for the role playing game scene because they're going to keep shrinking year after year. Once you start going down, you don't just you know dovetail yeah. out of that because you have more money now. Um, it's 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 a very challenge. Like it's a very dangerous game they're playing. Um, On that point, though, because and there is a similarity in in Games Workshop in that sort of they got rid of Warhammer Fantasy um for which they're, they're kind of bringing back now but they got word of they got rid of warhammer fantasy battle there was a massive massive backlash about it because you know a lot of people had spent a lot of money myself included uh, on armies for this thing but because it wasn't a big seller and stuff they said we're not gonna we're gonna have age of sigmar which is basically you know warhammer 40k in the fantasy battle sort of kind of space mm-hmm. uh there was a massive kickoff they lost a lot of people who sort of kind of said we're gonna go and then as time went on, people just started to forget about it and just sort of kind of the new ki- the kids who they were onboarding because, you know, we've got we've got new sig- Sigmarines here, basically Space Marines, but in fantasy, they're really cool. And all the kids who were coming in were making up for the, the jaded sort of middle-aged guys like myself who were sort of kind of pissed off about it. And so they're just like, right, fine, we had a bit of a, we had a bit of a dip, but because there's all these new kids coming in and they're liking these bigger models and these liking these new things, then we can make up for that sort of, for that thing. Yeah. And the only reason they've gone back to fantasy battle is because Total War Warhammer has been such a success. So like, okay, we can use this as a platform to maybe sell uh, a game at a you know one of, maybe a specialized game that is actually that um and maybe get rid of some of the older stock that we have in in things so in regards to this i have a feeling that there will be a dip but because there's always kids here coming in uh, uh more and more each time i think they'll see it, it'll leave an up yeah I, I think I think it's a really interesting comparison when we try to when we try to line up these two companies because they need vastly different like um like little grassroots networks to build up around them for a community in a given area um, you can have a couple of different um, tabletop uh, you know wargaming communities in an area because you only need like three four people to play and they don't need to play at the same time you just meet up one-on-one yeah uh, but with D you need a group of five so yeah. it's much more important to have this sort of like system cohesion so it's much harder for you know uh uh for things to like fragment in the tabletop uh tabletop gaming like role-playing space as opposed to as opposed to the the war gaming space it's it's um i you know i'm a, I'm a computer science person at heart i i can only <laughs> imagine how like the graph network here like works it's like very it, it it looks very similar at first blush but the monetization strategies and like the the social networks that have to build around them actually end up being very very different uh i played uh uh you know my normal saturday game two days ago with eight players all right okay okay <sighs> how many we've got how many here or not we've got six, six with a, a seventh potentially joining mm-hmm. um you know, it would, te- it would be potentially more 
because we have sort of sometimes people drop in and out and stuff like that. So yeah, we we've had a fair bit. And it, me, I'm the I'm the DM, and I find that's mm-hmm. a struggle. That's a struggle without many people. The, the, the trick I used is I go, uh, everybody roll. I'm only going to listen to the first, and I make that number half. If there's uh, eight of you, first four numbers I hear, those are the ones I'm writing down, you know, for for checks. So I'm not listening to eight numbers or whatever. Uh, and then take every chance you can to split the party because it increases the tension. Like through the it's really really fun to do. Oh, that. we never split the party. Oh, uh, no, I don't know. Every time points. when you have a big group, you can make it really cinematic. You jump back and forth between the two different groups, and uh, it's a little less like hands on for the players at that point. But the spectacles through the roof because they get to watch two stories kind of interweaving. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people who are playing D in the modern sense are very uh very attuned to, like cinematic storytelling language. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i really love doing like okay we're gonna smash cut to this do an insert on that and use that sort of language at the table because people understand you know what this would look like on a tv show or in a movie or that sort of thing we try to use um like discord quite a lot we, it used to be whatsapp we've got whatsapp groups but we basically have a role-playing chat within discord for mm-hmm. downtime and for um when there's other sort of kind of so basically i'm better when i have time to because these group of douchebags basically don't do anything that i want them to do they basically of just sort of they just sort of Why go i basically have i started off uh writing everything i had everything you know all these different sort of flow charts about what they would do what the things and they never did Classic anything mistake. they never did anything and they literally go off in complete tangents and it just ruined everything and i'd have all these sort of like but i've drawn this really awesome map and i've done this and you're not going anywhere near it so it's just like right so i have a i have a start i have a middle i have an end i have some basic sort of concepts about where things are going to happen and stuff some main bad guys some lieutenants and then mm-hmm. the bbeg and stuff and DMing, I bas- DMing is very much an art form in that way, right? Like you yeah. have you you would you create a way to play around your players, and everyone's style is different, and it's based around their players. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very very interesting how much effort it and how much learning process there is. And then it's like if any of your players hop in the DMing chair, they're going to start out where you were when you yeah. started <laughs> building these elaborate maps, and they're going to have to learn to adapt a style. Yeah, it takes a long time to onboard somebody who's a real DM. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I, like Matt came up with like this complex plot of like a, a poisoning, and like okay, well the players got to work out who the poison was, how he got poisoned. Then Dave comes along and his as his mage Thomas Moonstone goes to detect poison. Uh, I was just like, <laughs> oh right, I didn't think about it. And there's loads of stuff where they've just certainly they're completely like I had one which was I was trying to split the party so. <laughs> because they, they do stupid things when they do their own thing. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And I can sort of kind of split them off. And then the, the wizard basically goes, so is this rock that's fallen down attached to the wall or is it just a stone that's fallen down to stop us from getting in? And I was like, it's just a big massive boulder that stopped you, so blocking you from getting to there and stuff. And he went, okay, uh, shrink. And he's basically he's basically sp- made it tiny and went, I'm going to move that or we're going to go through there. And I was just like, oh you shitheads and i was just like right okay fine so we had to well, go through well, the, the trick is you can't you can't use a uh, a stick to separate the part you, you can't ever use a stick on the players no. ever yeah, it yeah always is a carrot um yeah. i in the in that you know ridiculous uh game we were running last time um uh the party is infiltrating a, a burrow you know they're looking for somebody who was kidnapped and they uh um you know uh uh 
it's full of goblins, but oh god, they're half owl because the whole adventure is called Strange Alchemy. They're dealing with some. There's a wizard, sorry, an owl, an alchemist who's building half owl creatures because he wants to remake the owl bear. Yeah. Okay, so so uh, there's owl goblins in there, and they fight their way through owl, a few owl goblins, and they get up to a chamber in which there's like. 24 sleeping owl goblins in a room and there's a little shiny thing on a pedestal and they're level two uh and they go i'm like guys if you do this you're gonna die and they go i wake them all up and get the thing <laughs> so, so that just happens and they were able to like fight their way out of it and that's all well and good like they're able to survive when they're all together but when later they find the kidnapped guy and they take him out you know um uh, uh they, they get this shiny thing on a pedestal and it's half of a medallion and a bunch of the players go i want the rest of this medallion and I'm like, good. Look around for that medallion. <laughs> so half of them are looking for that. The other half take this injured guy, and they're like, okay, he's injured. This is the guy we were here to find. Let's get him back to town. They take him out into the woods, and then the sun goes down. And on the way back, the moon comes up, and he goes from bad to worse. He goes from sick and delirious to, like, convulsing. And then his skin breaks, and his bones pop, and then his jaw juts out and turns into a beak. And then they're being chased through the woods by a, a were-owl. Uh. <laughs> and it's only half the party because by giving them two different objectives simultaneously that they can't both go after, you can split the party. Now the tension of being chased by a scary owl thing is, is doubled, right? It's through, this, it's through the roof because they can't help us. They don't even know where we are. And then, you know, you kind of, uh, you have to find a way to bring them back later. But it's, it's all about carrots, right? Find stuff that they want leech onto that and then give them something else well yeah I, I've, I've learned very quickly that i and I, I enjoy it actually because they write a really good story themselves because they they get so into it that they sort of you know they've all got their distinct characters and stuff and they have some really sort of kind of good moral uh issues and stuff they want to overcome and things and they just write it for you and i've got to the point now where i have got loads of sort of like maps that i can just sort of i'll just go to if they they decide to go somewhere and then i'll just ad lib uh the 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 discord thing just helps me if i get we get to a point where i'm just like right this is getting too in depth i need a bit more time to think about this we'll stop the session and then we'll go right so We'll talk through it in the thing, and that gives me time to sort of kind of go through it, and we can have some really long conversations about the. And it's open for everybody to watch. So if they're watching the stream, or if they're going back to watch it and stuff, they can see this all there, and they can go back, and then we recap it when we do the next stream. And I, I think that's that's really good. But I like the fact that it is an evolving story that they are creating themselves. They make a lot of work for me because. I'm trying to create a story that I enjoy and they enjoy, but also one that um, they're not all going to die quickly and make not it's not going to be good watching and stuff. I have to throw in sort of like... I don't know what's wrong with punching a shot. <laughs> so there's lots of stuff where they're just, they're just like, they're going to kill themselves. And I've had to think of really creative ways to give them a way out of things. For example, we did a one shot. We did a... Um, we did a um, false hydra. Um, we did a false hydra story, which is fucking awesome. So good. Like if you never like, I did a, I did a. a, a I had a, I had a DM pull one off on me, and I went, "Is that a false hydra?" And he's like, "You're not supposed to know about that." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah exactly." Make it so, less obvious. So we like none of the. I think one guy 
in the party knew about it, but I said mm-hmm. to him, look, man, don't say anything to anybody else. They mm-hmm. haven't got a clue. And they like they really enjoyed it. And everybody every time I've run it with people who don't understand what it is, it's like mm-hmm. it just messes with their brains because they don't understand what's going on. And it's amazing to watch because they're going through all these sort of kind of rational things to try and find out. And when they slowly realize what's happening, then it's like how do they deal with that situation? But whereas Pete at the time when we were doing it was uh was the the pre-generated uh mage i created and he basically said the next crazy thing i see i'm gonna i'm gonna just cast fireball on and i thought he was joking and then basically i made them do a perception check based on something they saw these massive long necks coming out over the top of the uh of the the village of waterside and and then all i see across the virtual tabletop is these dice getting rolled i was like oh what the fuck's just happened and it's like fireball and i was like oh shit and i was just like because i done it in a certain way whereas these things were so large and they'd grown so big that there was no way they were going to defeat them they had to sort of sneak around to make or be out of its sight and stuff the only way they could do it is going underground and dealing with these sort of kind of secondary heads and like the heart within it and and sort of deal with it that way and i was just like I don't know how I'm going to get out of this because they're going to fireball this massive, huge city-sized head. I mean, I guess that point, it turns into a firefighting episode somehow because it's like, all right, you clipped to the top of the building. There's a fire in this building. You have no idea how it got there. For some reason, you're holding bat guano and you're like, I don't remember using this bat guano. (laughs) And I was just like, right. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the rest of you a chance to basically knock that fireball, knock him to push the fireball off in another direction. If you don't, you're all dead. Effectively, there's no way you're getting out of this. So so they had to do these rolls to try and which they did. And then one of them did a thunder strike to deal with something else and then made the bloody, made the building collapse, which obviously brought more attention to them at the time. And I was just like, oh my God, this stream is not going very well at all <laughs> it's just it's there's a there's a cascade that happens where things go from bad to worse to even worse and go this is as bad as it could get and it just keeps spiraling and it's really one of the most beautiful things about uh uh you know collaborative storytelling <laughs> We did like uh, we're currently fin- we've just finished off like I got this uh, module for naval combat within it and that's like because we we did a sort of relatively big battle we do sort of like these mid sort of like we're on level of they're on up like level eleven now we've been going for about two years level eleven we do these big sort of kind of set pieces with lots going on they can split up and do different things and stuff to sort of basically do the the lieutenant bad guy that i've built for that time and i part of this next sort of arc is i was like i've that, this naval combat looked pretty good so we did this naval combat thing we did this thing where they had to get resources where they were to get resources from they got a limited amount of time they got they've got to weigh up like if they spend too much time then the enemy's going to have more than them than blah 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 all this other stuff Lots of stuff went into it. Really, <laughs> Pete gets on his ship with his barbarian, charges straight for one of the big ships, gets gets sunk, like sinks his first ship within the first basically couple turns of the game. Then gets on a raft, decides that he's going to carry on rafting <laughs> towards this ship. It gets sunk. I'm having to roll all these dice to see he doesn't get killed. He then gets onto another ship, which gets sunk because he's on it. He then gets onto his third ship, which gets 
sunk because he's on it and then it's just like it just kept going any ship he got onto got sunk and it eventually got to the point where it's like okay well this one's going to go away now and this is going to here and there's a crack in and i'll say he might be able to deal with that better than getting on these ships and sinking at least, at least the kraken isn't made of wood which yeah. gets caught on fire because of the fireball yeah. like that's the one thing everybody who tries ship combat goes ah i forgot that fireball just burns objects yeah and now everything's on fire and everyone's sinking oh it's so we, great we did this thing where i had like um I had this sort of kind of very complex sort of dungeon worked out with wooden bridges along it with sort of cultists on each side that were tied onto these chains and they had to do all these different things to basically get to the the uh the chained up sort of kind of um uh, it was like a, a book in the middle <laughs> and the fucking wizard just kind of sees this group of cultists without sort of figuring out what's going on and went I can use fireball and then fires fireball onto this bridge. And I was like, it's a wooden bridge. You've just destroyed your only way across this wooden bridge and all the people who could have helped you. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> what's going on? So there was so much sort of deviation that I had to sort of kind of make stuff up on the fly to try and get them through it. And I was just like, oh man, this is, this is hard work. <laughs> It is. It is. It's so hard to be a DM. Um, and, and the game requires this. Like, it needs this because, and that's the th that's also the selling point of the game. Yes. Is that yes. there's somebody at the table who's doing the hard work because, you know, all the great Bioware games in the world are not going to give you a DM who can modify the story on the fly because your shepherd decided to dive through a third story window <laughs> off the Citadel, right? Like, it's not... That's not how this is going to work. Yeah. Role-playing games give you something new that nothing else can. Yeah. And, and I, it's so cool to be in a generation that sort of realized that, you know, this cool thing from the 80s exists and embraced it. Like, very, very cool. Yeah, and that, this, is the, this is the thing, you see, because... You, you just how fondly we've just sort of kind of reminisced about our respective stories and stuff such a such a beautiful thing you know for me D and D, um like i played it when i was a kid i did some uh i did rogue trader i did call cthulhu and stuff but during lockdown especially it was something that really helped my mental health and it's something that continually does help with my my, my mental well-being because it's something i've got solid that i do regularly with people i love and i enjoy being with and stuff and it's like you know there, there's this thing that you know the ogl was a part of that and they 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 had something beautiful and they literally tarnished it and that makes me feel angry about it and stuff because it's something that a lot of people as we've shown have a lot of an emotion into and then they've come up with something to basically blacken it and it, it, it darken yeah. it and it's just sort of and they, they and they had to jump through some hoops to figure out a way to mess this up yeah too. like it was it was yeah and and i'm hoping you know the D, &D community kind of you know, comes back together. But I, I think regardless of what happens, there's going to be a fragmentation going forward. And if we have the same conversation in two years time, uh, it won't be, let's talk about your D and D games. Let's talk about which game you're playing mm. first. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm not really going to know what's happening with, you know, whatever weird system that, you know, well, that's uh, like, we'll have to get you back on I don't know, same time I mean, next year and yeah. see where we see where we are. Yeah, especially if it keeps developing. Be, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be yeah. controversial here. I'm going to be very interested to see 
what happens with this fragmentation because it can be various developers coming up with new systems sure. and be interested to see what innovation comes out of this and see what new mule mechanics and new systems for embedding themes in games emerges. There's the thing is there's always a lot of really great role playing games out there. There's yeah. always a ton and they very rarely get any sort of spotlight because at the end of the day the players make the game. If there is an audience for those players, you're going to be able to make the game. So um you know like I've got you know my dark matter right here that gives you the ability to make do sci-fi in 5e without learning a new system. That's a successful product because you know nobody wants to learn stars without number. Nobody is if you have people at your table with any sort of learning disability, you're not going to teach them Traveler. I'm sorry. It's a great system. You're not going to be able to teach them. You that. can die in character generation in yeah. Traveler. Yeah. I mean, you, and you got to really walk them through those games. Um, but, you know, there's always going to be this kind of one game that people kind of default to because there are players there. Um, and I think we're going to see really cool mechanics. And maybe some of those are going to get adopted into larger, like more successful releases. Um, but I think a lot of small companies are going to take chances on this and they're just going to lose out, yeah. you know, um, it's, you know, I, I've been designing D stuff specifically for D and D for, for years and there, uh, imminently we may have a dog cameo yeah. he, he wants <laughs> right here. Um, so, so, um, I've been making stuff for Dungeons and Dragons for years and it, the thought has crossed my mind on many occasions. Well, it wouldn't it be more principled, like, wouldn't it be more, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of. For, to just to make standalone role-playing games. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the numbers and how many people are willing to just pick up a standalone role-playing game and introduce it to their whole group and play it for a year, it's not very good. Okay. You know, it's it's just not, and the numbers aren't great on those. So I think a lot of small companies are going to take risks. Almost everybody's going to lose out. Maybe well, somebody's going to make a Pathfinder. Maybe somebody's going to make it big. But, but, you know, only one of them can do that. See, this is the same, this is the same yeah. thing with, with Warhammer and stuff. It's like... Warhammer as a game isn't the best game out there. Isn't the best game system out there. It's just because it's got such a massive player base. It's just easier to play it than not exactly. to play it. And it's like, there's so mm -hmm. many, you know, I try, like I've got so many different types of games and I love, there's loads of different ones. There's ones that are defunct now because they just didn't have the support. Um, and there's loads of ones I'd love to play, but because nobody plays them, it's just so hard and you can see why they go down. It's like really, really awesome game mechanics, but because nobody plays them and it's just like, I ask my friends, do you want to play? Nah, man, I'm just going to play some 40K on I, Thursday. I, I talk stuff. about this. I talk about this with people all the time. They're going to go, I've got this great idea for a role-playing game. I've got this great idea for a book. And I'm like, that's awesome. It doesn't mean you're going to sell anything. It doesn't mean you're going to make money on it. It doesn't mean you can make it into a business. It has to be more than that, right? Yeah. You have to be able to, you know, take this really great idea and turn it into something, you know, uh, that you can sell. Yeah. And that, you know, uh, it, thankfully we've had this kind of, you know, uh, a middle class of people who can just make stuff for D and D the OGL has allowed for that. Um, but you know, if you're going to get into that wide and, uh, uh, wild world of uh, just standalone role-playing games or standalone miniature games, it's a very scary place. I mean, okay, you can make a game and you can figure out how to fund the manufacturing of that game. But what about marketing? Marketing is like half of your cost. You know, my most recent book cost like 50, 60,000 just in art. And then marketing was like 20 grand. And I got, I was cheap on the marketing, right? And now that project did pretty well. That was, that was uh, Valda's Spire of Secrets. That was a book that takes 5e oh, yeah. and adds 10 new base classes. 
um, and like just expands the game. It's not like just one setting, it's all settings. Here's new stuff. You can make new characters. And that did pretty well. That was like $700,000 on Kickstarter. And then when you actually break down the numbers, we didn't make too much. We did okay, but we didn't make that much. Um, and then, you know, more importantly, uh, slightly lower than the 750 benchmark that you would have needed to give them. Money. Oh, no, it was, it was enough. It was enough to get their attention because oh, when you okay. add in things like backer kit, they would. Oh, right, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was above that threshold. Yeah. Um, and, uh, although I have friends that, um, you know, uh, made like nearly 2 million on Kickstarter and they just didn't reach out to them. So I don't know what the, uh, how they were figuring out their thresholds for people to reach out to <laughs> It doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah. they like they don't know their own audience. They don't know the the, the projects that are doing well. Um, they they're I think they're they're really in the dark about what makes their their you know whole this whole ecosystem of creators and economies work. So what what is the future for Mia-chan then with all this in place? What what where 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 are you going? What are you? Well, I, the future for me is still five E, but um, well actually. Let me grab a thing. It's just out of reach. A thing. Like things. It looks like dogs. Where's dogs? <laughs> so we're running a Kickstarter right now for a game called Witchy Cakes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's a game in which you play witches competing to build the tallest, most enchanted cake possible to deliver on an unsuspecting <laughs> wedding reception. Okay. It is the most adorable thing I've ever made. Right. It's really, really cute. Uh, you know, you're you're stacking like layers of cake, and it's a kind of a color matchy game. Everyone gets to play uh, with these adorable covens of witches. Uh, like, you know, there's a bunch of monster witches. It probably won't come into focus. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it's, cool. It's adorable. The game is super, super cute. So, if you're somebody who plays, uh, it's uh, if you if you're somebody who plays D and D like with a group, it plays four to eight people. So it's like the perfect pre D and D game. It like lasts twenty minutes. It's super easy to learn. Yeah, right yeah. now we're launching that. So I'm, I've made my first ever card game. I'm thrilled about it. It's cute. It's fun. Uh, I want to tell everybody about it. I don't think it'll do super well. Uh, but if you want to help me fund that thing, it's on Kickstarter right now. Um, and, oh yeah, okay, cool. Because yeah. I've I've looking at the uh, I've just typed in witchy cakes and stuff. I'm trying to find the Kickstarter. Yeah, it should be coming up. Um, but then you know. Uh, yeah, Witchy Cakes, it's it's on Kickstarter right now. Um, I can, you know, provide a link to you guys. If yeah, you yeah, that'll be good. We'll uh, yeah. it does, from what yeah, I've seen, from, from some of the artwork, really good. Yeah, it's really enjoyable. It's phenomenal. It's so much better. Like, we put more into our art than any other card game that's out there. It's crazy. I'm really thrilled about this game. Witchy Cakes. Yeah, there, there it is. There we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I Anyway, so, so uh, we made our first ever card game. Uh, this is just something that's been sitting around in the background. It's a passion project. Um, our next D&D book is coming in a couple of months. Uh, we partnered with the um, Center for Biodiversity to create a bestiary of extinct animals. Oh, nice. So we're telling their actual histories. Like it is the first ever D&D book that is fully cited as a research paper. Uh, we tell their the actual histories of extinct animals and then we reimagine them as magical creatures you can fight in your games. So if you wanted to learn about you know, extinct animals from your back, your own backyard, you're going to see some extremely cool stuff. Okay, um, cool. There, there are so many interesting um, stories that I mean, are not that far removed from the modern day. We're only focusing on animals that went extinct in the Holocene in the era of men walking around, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, so, you know, I was, I was, it, it, it's a terrifying book. And I could, I could tell you some, the stories from that book are going to enlighten and, and, you know, oh, that's incredible. It's amazing. It's that really, really cool. 
When's that? Um, so that's coming out in a couple months. March uh, 20th or oh, 21st. I'll be all over that. Um, I think. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about that project. Um, it is it is the most heartbreaking book I've ever worked on. Um, and Heartbreaking uh, in what for, way? Can, lost... can, I tell you, can I tell you a brief story? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I, I don't think most people are aware of the Great Auk. It was a seabird. Um, think like a penguin, but bigger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really unique kind of beak. It allowed it to glide through the water like a bullet. One of the most agile things in the water. Um, lived in and around Greenland, I think. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> on land, it was really clumsy. It's not very fast. It's like a penguin, right? So it, it uh, nested on rocky little islands uh, where it could play, you know, uh, lay its eggs way up on land and then hatch and then you know, go into the water to, to fish. Um, eventually, Europeans realized that uh, this thing had extremely good down that made for great pillows. Um, so they started hunting the great auk. And before long, the great auk was down to just one island, which exploded when a volcano erupted. Now, a few of them got away um, and they were spotted, uh, um, you know, on another, unfortunately, easier to access island, um, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles north. Um, and uh, uh, three Europeans show up on the island. And we know this because we have their diaries. We have it in their words. Um, one of them chased uh, uh, two of the birds. Uh, they found two adults. Um uh, one of them chased one of the adults into a um, into a corner, uh, and the other one chased it um, up to a cliffside. And it, it, literally, the words from the diary are: "We arrived at a, a precipice many fathoms deep. I reached out. Uh, it flapped its wings. It made no cry. I strangled him. And the third one crushed the eggs because a European collector wanted to have an undamaged specimen." for his collection. To my knowledge, this is the only time in history someone has knowingly killed the last members of a species. It's, it's a crime that I don't think we have a word for. Yeah. Um, it's, it's literally genocide. Yeah. But I mean, it's much more, it's not yeah. systematic, right? Yeah. I mean, the idea of crushing the last eggs is just spiteful. They yeah. weren't asked to do that. Uh, that's that's my <laughs> yeah. This is just one of the, and, and the great auk is one of those like really charismatic, really interesting fauna. Um, and, uh, you know, it is, it is a real, one of the things about Dungeons and Dragons is that when we go out and we kill an owlbear, there's always another owlbear. And this yeah. is something about the way we tell our stories. We live in a world of magical excess because the stories that we tell reinforce the idea that there is always more and that magical or technological innovation will save us from the things that we want to do. And the actual reality of that is that uh, the reason in D&D settings that magic was always bigger in the old days is because we live in a world in which each generation is lesser because of the choices that our forefathers made. That we live in a world that doesn't have the great auk. Or, or thousands of other species, and uh, this is this is the first and only book uh, that I'm making that uh, is also a massive financial risk, and I'm probably going to lose tons of money on it. Let's be let's be perfectly. Yeah, I'm sold. This. I'm on it. Yeah, yeah I'm sold. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's my chance as a designer for once not to make something that's good and to you know uh, something that that you know is frivolous and lets you tell cool stories, 
but something that is objectively good and can and can maybe change the way we tell stories for good. And also, it's very powerful. Just that single story alone is powerful. There's so many of them in this book. I, I editing it is really tough. Um, it's being it's being stu- it's on Kickstarter in March. Did you say March twenty first? Um, if you guys want, I, I'll I'll um, I'm working with another artist or another writer on this, um, and uh, where you have magical art for all these individual monsters. Oh, I would nice. love to. If, if you guys have any openings around that time, I would love to talk with you again. Yes, please do. give you a much yes. deeper look on this. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's yeah. currently a little over a hundred pages done, and uh, you know, so it's like I like going to my Kickstarter's a finished project, um, and uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a really unique. Uh, book. Uh, we give you like a lot of character options too. Um, mm. you, do you want to play a, a race that's an endling? Endling is a fun word this book gets to introduce you to. It's the very last of your species. Ooh. Oh, nice. The last great ox that were chased on their island were endlings. So I, I think we found some really interesting ways to let yeah, you not just real... experience it from the outside, but to to get a look at what extinction looks that's like. That's a very close. powerful role-playing experience right there. God. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. That's gonna be a bummer to that's gonna be a bummer to talk about, but I would love to talk with you more about yeah. it. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. Sounds really good. Really. Yeah. Cool. cool. Right. Well, um, on that uh oh, genocidal that bombshell. Go, yeah. go go back witchy cakes. Yeah, it's yeah, not witchy depressing. Yes. It's really fun. <laughs> witchy I think cakes. you'll have a good time with it. Uh, and Kurt... I mean twenty five dollars for just a game is really is a bargain. It's an absolute bargain. Yeah, I, we did our best to give you like a really good price on this, and we yeah. made a, a coloring book and a storybook where everything rhymes with. It has the rhythm of um, a double double boil in trouble, but it's oven coven baker's dozen. It's adorable. <laughs> everything about this game is good. Uh, and I got distracted to talk about that other depressing project. But yeah. go back, witchy cakes. It's like seriously, if you play D anD D and anybody like in your group uh, um, would have a passing fancy in this, give it a try. It's really really fun. Like it's annoyingly the best thing i've ever made and it's the hardest thing to sell like it's it's a super fun card game uh so, it's very easy to learn uh you know i'm all about creating um yeah easy to pick up gaming experiences so that's that's huge for me you got, oh it's uh, also um i'm colorblind this game is colorblind friendly there's a there's a there's a symbol system in here oh, that nice. makes it uh accessible for anybody um you know and color that's matching really mechanics are really easy to learn so if you know how to play uno you can pick it up in like five minutes brilliant fun for all ages baking optional occultism guaranteed (laughs) i'm sold brilliant well uh mike it's been an absolute pleasure really 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 insightful um you know uh the the old um the ogl stuff was just you know I, I, again we talked about it last week uh but uh maybe not as much depth but uh wow uh brilliant and definitely 100 percent come back on about the new book um i it, i'm looking forward to that yeah because that sounds sounds amazing um we'll not subject you to our, our our pop quiz that we do generally at the end of the pop uh the the uh uh the end of the podcast, podcast. um <laughs> Well, I don't know unless you want to do it, but basically, what we do at the end of we, at the end of the podcast, because generally we 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 talk about different geeky franchises and things like that, so we kind of gauge what people are into and stuff like that. Because we've only just been talking about D and D effectively, um, sure. But basically, what we we do is. Um, you basically we each take a franchise, say Marvel or DC or or Star Wars or Star Trek or something, and you think of a character. Um, you then the other people then have sixty seconds to guess who that character is, um, and that's what we do. So you would choose a franchise. Ooh. 
and you basically got to... Now, obviously, don't do what Pete always does, and he goes for Marvel or DC, and then it's some obscure comic book character <laughs> that nobody knows about. It's Arms Fall Off Kid. Yeah, and it's just like... So something that is guessable, but obviously you can, you can obviously throw in something that's slightly... It's harder, but obviously something that potentially people may know about um so i don't know if pete wants to if pete's I'm, got, yeah. I'm game i'll try okay, yeah, okay right all right Bear mike do you know dragonlance i do not know dragonlance okay not even a bit yeah okay it's got dragonlance then okay. do something easy that you would do like star wars or marvel or dc or star trek or something like that because okay then um go with um star wars Okay. So what sorts of questions are we allowed to ask again? So you can ask any, like, generally yes or no questions. Um, okay. uh, and basically what happens, you've got 60 seconds. When the 60 seconds hits, you've got one more question, and then you can sort of try and guess who the character is. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. So uh, Star Wars, 60 yep. seconds. Go. Uh, so uh, original trilogy? Technically. Oh. Am I a droid? No. Um, are they in the prequels? Not the prequel films. Uh, am I played by a live action actor? No, you are voiced. Um, are, so are we in the animated series? Yes. Are we in Clone Wars? Yes. Are we in Rebels? Yes. Are we Empire? No. Are we rebellion? Independent. Okay, so are, are, are we a bounty hunter? No. Are, uh, mm. We're in the part of Star Wars I don't know super well, kids. Yeah. The, 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 Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. This is standard Pete, by the way. He always goes for the most obscure thing. He either no, he goes, he's, he sways both ways. He'll either go for the most simple thing that you get in like one question, or the most obscure thing that you just don't. Can't oh, guess. Do I use a lightsaber? Oh, yeah. So yeah. So we got. So currently, and this our sixty seconds is up. So we've got okay. animated. We've got animated series, uh, Rebels and Clone Wars. Um, we've got independent. We've got. He's not Empire. Remember what I said. Not. Not Empire. Empire. Independent. Yes, yeah, so he's independent. But no, not Empire. Hmm. What hmm. came before the Empire? Oh, is he a Sith? Hmm. No, not a Sith. Max. I was thinking the Old Republic. Um, no, that the wouldn't Republic. be covered in the series. Oh, he's Republic. Yes. Yes. That's a huge clue. And remember, technically in the original trilogy. Technically in the original trilogy? Yes. Technically. Well, almost retroactively. Oh, man. Uh, okay, okay, well, that eliminates anybody who died during the... Uh, yes. Um, Someone okay. who survived the animated series. That's not a lot of people. <laughs> no. Um, and I'll be able to picture some of the ones that I know, but I won't know most of their names, which is where we fall flat. Yeah. Um, because like that. Ahsoka isn't is is yeah. acted now, so that wouldn't yeah. you know. Uh, uh, Darth Maul, I think, technically survives, technically. but again, yeah. acted. Um, 
So he's he's retroactively in the prequels. Not the prequels, in, in, the, the, in the, the original trilogy. Yes. Yeah. Retroactively in the... I'm trying to think who could be... Is there like a Jar Jar-like character? Not Jar Jar. Um, Jabba the Hutt-like character. That, nope. ah, that doesn't work. Yeah, man, I, I'm stumped. Okay. Captain yep, Rex. I Captain Rex. What? How, uh, is, how is he in the, the, uh, the There's a, um, one of the rebels on the attack on the base on the planet, the forest moon of Endor. Yeah. Uh, they said later um, he was Captain Rex because he had Captain Rex's <laughs> beard. Oh, oh, there we go. Right. Yeah. Okay. What are they? Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. That's why yeah. I said retroactively. Okay. That's pretty obscure. Sure. But all right. Okay. Just... <laughs> I told you. I do you know what thing is. I know that because I saw the article about it, but I just like I just wasn't there. Okay. Thanks, also, Pete. He was a Thanks major character in the United, so he wasn't that obscure to be fair. So in my defense, <laughs> that's true. That's okay. true. Thank all right. You. All right, Mike, do you have something that's maybe going to be slightly easier than that? Or... He was a main character, Matt. <laughs> yeah, You're a Star yeah. Wars fan, come on. I know, but... Uh... Yeah, come on, let's hear it. Ooh, I, uh, let's see. Okay. Um, I was going to try to rely on some, like, obscure shows I might have grown... Then again, Stargate, like, isn't that obscure, right? Um, I like Stargate. Yeah, but uh, mm, I bet you guys know Stargate better than I do because it has been decades since I've seen it. So no, let me, I let me double back it's been think. a while since I've watched it as well, to be fair. Okay. Um, okay, I've got one. We're talking DC character. Ooh, interesting. Like okay, right. So <laughs> DC. All right, are we talking movies or comic books? Or are they both? Uh, yes. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, right. Okay, so DC... 60 seconds go okay uh have they got their own movie no are they uh are they in um are they in any movies yes uh, are they a hero good guy no so they're well, a villain uh you would normally classify them as that yes are they an anti-hero is it Black Adam? No, not really. No? No. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, they've got, they're in the films. They are mm -hmm. technically a villain. Mm -hmm. um, are they a bit part in a film? No. Right, so it's not going to be are like... They male, are they male? Yes. Okay. Are they human? No. Okay. Okay. So Are they alien? No. Okay, that's sixty seconds. So we've got bad guy, effectively, uh, in a film. Mm -hmm. Not a not a bit part. Um, they aren't human. Correct, but they're also not from space, and they're not alien, so they're not human. Not from space. In the film, I'm just kind of going through. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that they also show up in uh, um, an animated TV show. Oh, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not. Uh, what's his name? God, does all right. My ask is, does he kill Superman? No, he's in uh, space. 
He's not from correct. Oh yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I'm not a DC fan, and I and I know that. Man. Come yeah. on. <laughs> uh, well, that's my last question. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, was he in? Was he in the um, Wonder Woman films? No. Okay. So you did you did land on villain. Yeah. From Earth but not human. Yeah. There's a couple of movies that they made that are very villain centric. Oh, uh 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 so it's gonna be it's Suicide Squad, isn't it? It's one of the Suicide Squads. Okay, okay, okay. Let me think about this. Uh oh, King Shark. Got it. Ah, very good. <laughs> no, yeah. it worked. I don't know why I was I can't do you know what? Well was, you yeah. yeah, that was a tough one because you didn't land on like animal dude. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was sitting there kind of going, "What, what, what sort of animals?" And I didn't think about Suicide Squad in any way, shape, or form. I was just sitting there kind of going, "That's the most obvious one." Yeah, very good. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, also in Harley Quinn, of course, as yeah, one of the most yeah. funny characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's mm. yeah. That, that was a good one. That was a good one. Thank you. Um, okay, what am I going to go for? Um, currently painting some. Uh, Middle Earth uh, strategy battle game stuff, so maybe I'll go for Lord of the Rings. Um, which character am I going to go for? Lord of the Rings? Some from the films, please, because I've not <laughs> for decades. All right, okay. I Well, we did this last time. You, you didn't get I give you a film one. You get the last one I gave you. You got super obscure characters, dude. Yeah. Um, I am going to go for... Somebody's not going to be too obvious. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go for... We've done her already. So I can't do that. Um, I'm going to go for... Okay, yeah, all right. I've got one relatively easy-ish. So depending on which angle you go for. So yeah, all right, okay. Uh, Lord of the Rings, 60 seconds. Uh, Go. Is in the Lord of the Rings films? Yes. Uh, in the are, are Hobbit you, films? Uh, no. Okay. Are you an elf? Uh, we're not an elf. Are you human? Uh, yes. Are you male? Yes. Okay. Do you use a sword in this film? No. Do you use a staff? Oh. Are you Bilbo Baggins? We are not Bilbo Baggins. No, it's human. Oh, that's right. Um, are you in all three films of the um, world? No. Okay. Are you in Fellowship of the Ring? Uh, no. Two Towers? Yes. And Return, Return of the King? Um, depending on which version you think you're going for. <laughs> do yes. You, do you... Um... Are you... Do you serve... Um, Saruman and so on. Ah, uh, so it's your sixty seconds. Uh I do serve Saruman. Yes, Green and Worm Tongue. Yes, yes. Tongue, yeah. there you go. <laughs> Very good. Good one. Good yeah. choice. Yeah. I think I give it away with the depending what edition you yeah. sort of work on. We just watched those films recently yeah. and watched the extended editions. Yeah, yeah, cool, mm. awesome. Well, there we go.
Uh, that's brilliant. Uh, you can think of some new ones for when you come back on in March. Um, <laughs> Sounds but, uh, good. Yeah. But uh, for, for me, for tonight, I've been Matt Geary. With me has been my co-host, Peter Ray Allison. Good night, everyone. And our guest, Mike Hollick. Thank you, guys. Night, everybody. Bye. Good night. Bye. Bye.